Welcome to Church in the Valley. My name is Pastor Matt. It's great to see you. And I am going to be wrapping up my series on understanding the times. We've been looking at all sorts of things going on in our culture that are hard to understand. And we have been holding up the scriptures as a way of measuring and defining and interpreting what we're seeing so that we can respond in a biblical way. I want to start today, and today's message is on truth. I want to start today with a question. What's your purpose? What are you for? Why did God create you? The answer is, according to the scriptures, to rule. God created you to rule and reign over the earth. He wants you to know him and love him and glorify him as you rule and reign over the earth. That's what human beings are for. That's what human beings want to do. God created us individually. He gave us freedom. He gave us realms of authority and responsibility. We call them stewardships. Why do he do this? Because he's a ruler. God rules over the universe, and he wants us to rule over the earth in the way that he does. We're his image bearers. What kind of rulers does he want us to be? He wants us to be wise. He wants us to be good. He wants us to be loving. He wants us to be just like him. And in order for us to do that, in order for us to develop into mature image bearers, he gives us freedom. Every fiber of our, of our being cries out for freedom. The ability to make a life of our own. The ability to have real consequences for our choices and to enjoy the blessings of our decisions. This is what we're made for, to rule. Horses like to run, birds like to fly, fish love to swim, and human beings rule. That's what we do. We create and we subdue and we build. It's just part of our nature. And this is why God has never forced a cosmic lockdown, a planetary shelter in place on the human race. I mean, after all, doesn't he have the authority to do it? Doesn't God have the power to do it? Couldn't God justify doing it? I mean, is he not aware of sin? Does he not see all the damage that we do to one another, the choices that we make that actually impact other people's lives? Couldn't he justify locking people down so they can't make any bad choices and not do any damage to anybody? Of course he could, but he doesn't. Why doesn't he do that? Because without freedom, there is no way for us to develop. No way for us to develop into the mature, good, wise, and loving rulers that he created us to be. You have to have freedom to do this. I mean, how could God hold you accountable, reward the good you do, and punish the bad you do, if you don't have any freedoms to choose? How can you be responsible if you didn't make the decision? That's not freedom. Choice and responsibility requires freedom. You can't mature, right? You can't mature if he treats you like an infant where the most important decisions in your life are made for you. And how, how would you become wiser? You can't become wiser if you don't have the freedom to make choices and live with the consequences. And what about love? It's not love if you're forced. Love is a voluntary choice. If you're forced to do something, you're not doing it because you love people. You're doing it because you have to. It's coercion. Everyone knows this. Everyone knows that freedom is necessary to develop. Everyone knows that freedom is necessary for love. You even see it in Hollywood. I don't know if you watch the Fast and Furious franchise, but uh, the main character's name is Dominic Toretto. He's the hero. And in one of the episodes of the you know, Fast and Furious 47 or whichever one it was, in one of the episodes, he drives his car into a helicopter to save the day. He crashes. He's unconscious. His girlfriend, Letty's holding him in 
her arms. Apparently, in a previous episode, Letty hit her head, so she doesn't remember who she is. But Dominic Toretto, he doesn't force her to stay with him, even though they were married. He never tells her that they were married in the past. He doesn't tell her she can't leave and go figure out who she is. He just lets her go. He gives her freedom. Well, he's lying there. He's dying. He's unconscious. She's holding him in her arms. And she says, I remember everything. I hit my head again. And I remember getting married. And I remember that we promised that we would die together. So you can't die or I'll die too. And then he wakes up and he says, it's about time. And then she says to him, why didn't you tell me that we were married? And he says to her, because you can't tell somebody that they love you. Wow. The gospel according to Dominic Toretto. That's, that's really the truth. God doesn't force us to love him. God loves us first. He sacrificed his son. God is giving us the choice to respond in love. You can't force people to love you. That's not love. If you take away choices, you can't mature. If you take away choices, you can't become good. You have to have freedom to become an effective ruler. What else do you need to rule? What else do you need to be a good ruler? You need the truth. You need freedom and truth. Otherwise, you can't make good decisions. You can't make good policies. You can't set the right goals. You can't weigh trade-offs. But our world is pretty hostile to truth. It's always been that way. It tries to suppress the truth. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Human beings naturally try to suppress the truth to control outcomes and to control others. It's one of the reasons this world is cursed. The first man and the first woman, they rejected the knowledge of the truth that God offered them, and they accepted a lie taught by Satan, our enemy. He ruled this world through lies until Christ defeated him on the cross. Now Jesus rules and reigns over all, but Satan is still loose. He's still out there. He's still lying and distorting the truth. His day will come. In every age, Satan and men and women, he's taken captive. They use lies and suppressions of truth to teach that up is down and light is dark and freedom is slavery and justice is injustice. And our world has been turned upside down, too, by lies. But Jesus has sent us into the world to turn it right side up. He says in John 8, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, what happens? Then you know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The Lord wants you to be free. And knowing the truth is a key part of that. All the biggest questions in life, to actually have a good life, we need to know the answers to them. We need to know the truth. And there are a lot of big questions in life. Like we need to know what's really real about the world. We need to know what's true and right and good and valuable and just. What's wise and profitable. We need to know the design Behind our creation, we need to know what's really worth living for, what's worth doing in this life. We need to know what the good life truly is and who has it and how we get it. Who's a really good person and how I become one of those people. We need to know know the story of human history. We need to know where the story started, where it's headed, and how it ends. What about our souls? We need to know how our souls work, how our minds and our hearts work. So that we can use them properly. We need to know what is right from wrong. What is just from unjust. We need to know the different kinds of people that are out there. We teach our kids that there are dangerous people and safe people. There are wise people and foolish people. We need to know the kinds of people that exist. Who to trust and who not to trust. 
in order to live a good life. And when it comes to society in general, we need to know how to order society, how to order our souls, how to order our families and businesses, our churches and our governments. There's a lot of things that we need to know the truth about. And where are we going to learn it? Who has the knowledge that we need? Who can teach us the truth about all of these vital and most important questions in life? Should we listen to sociologists and psychologists, secular philosophies? Do we look to Google and Silicon Valley or maybe Wall Street moguls or government officials? Who knows the truth about the most important questions in life? Science is great. It can be very helpful. But it can't answer these questions. Wise people are a blessing, but they can't figure out with their own wisdom the answer to these questions. The answer comes from God. God knows and God can teach us the truth about all these things because he's our creator. And that's why the most important knowledge that a human being can have is knowledge of God, his character, his will, his ways, who's ruling over this world. God is always the most important factor in any situation that you're facing because God is there. He is present and he is ruling and reigning over all according to his will. And so therefore we should know who he is. And unless we know God, and unless we please God, we're not going to get the answers to these other questions. We need to know the truth. We don't need to just know man's opinion. And that's why the scripture says in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. When you fear God, you trust and obey him, and then you begin to know the truth. If you really want to know the truth to the most important questions in your life that are key to living a good life, a safe life, a wise life, a profitable life, you need to fear the Lord. If we don't begin by fearing the Lord, we're never going to get the answers that we need. Do you want to know the truth that sets people free? Then you need to know the word of God, because the word of God, the Bible, is the embodiment of all knowledge and truth. That's what it says in the scriptures. Writing to the Jews, Paul says to them, look, it's, it's a great thing that you're a Jew. You have advantages. He says, you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. If you want to know the truth, this is the source. The Bible is the source of truth that God gives us to explain reality and all of those big questions that I looked at. From the beginning of history, he had given his people the sacred honor and duty of knowing and living and teaching and proclaiming the truth to the human race. Now, Israel had this privilege as the people of God, but they failed in their stewardship because of their sinful hearts, hearts that all mankind have in common. I have and you have. It wasn't enough that they had God's word, God's truth, because they didn't trust God's word. Their sin, their native weaknesses and wickedness was too powerful for them to overcome. The infection was too severe. So God sent the cure. The cure was his son, Jesus Christ, who was full of truth, but was something extra. Truth and grace. Grace, the power we need to change. In John 1, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The power that we need to be transformed in our hearts and transformed in our minds is given to us by Jesus. This is the grace that he gives. And he is the truth. He doesn't just teach the truth. He is the truth. Everything that is true harmonizes with that guy's life, with what he taught and what he said. In John 14, it says, Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus didn't just teach the truth to dead-hearted people. He also gave them the power to transform. In John 16, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, and he's going to send him, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears from me, from Jesus, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. If you want to understand the truth, you need a Spirit of God. And only the Lord Jesus gives that to his disciples. He is the truth. The word of God is the embodiment of wisdom and knowledge and truth. And the Lord God has given the church the stewardship of living and teaching and proclaiming the truth to the world. In 1 Timothy, it says, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The church is the temple out of which the truth comes because it is the, tr- the church that's been entrusted to steward the scriptures, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. It's the church that is devoted to the Lord Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. It's the church in which the spirit of God dwells, the spirit of truth. And so if someone wants to know the truth to the most important questions in life, the church is the place they should go. This is a great honor. This is a great privilege. And this is what you offer the world. Knowledge of the truth. But to get it, to begin to know the truth, it starts with fearing the Lord Jesus. And that means that we learn the truth of God's word as students of God's son empowered by God's spirit as a member of God's people. I'll say that again. For us to have the truth, to know it, to be able to live it out in our lives so that we're blessed and to share it with the world, it starts with fearing the Lord Jesus. And that means that we learn the truth of God's word as a student of God's son, filled with God's spirit, as a member of God's people, which is the church. God has made the church absolutely essential. In every society and in every culture, the church is an essential institution. It's by design. Because the church is the temple, as I said, of the living God, where the most important and the most vital truth about life can be learned. This truth enables us to evaluate all other claims and all other ways of knowing. Historically in the United States... The Bible was central and the most trusted source of knowledge and truth. It wasn't perfect. The American people did not conform to the Bible and the standards of God perfectly, of course. But compared to previous Gentile nations, America is pretty distinct. Those questions that I fired off at the beginning, we got our answers to those questions from the Bible. All other forms of knowing things, all other claims that people made to know the truth, they were always measured against what God said. What did this do? Well, this stabilized us. It protected us from error and deception. And it blessed our country. The world really isn't different. There are specific differences, but the major issues of life, they don't really change. We have the same problems that every generation of Americans did. And we have to deal with them. In the past, when our souls were disordered by sin, we used biblical psychology to reorder them. When societies were disordered by sin, we used biblical sociology to correct them. We abolished slavery. 
The abolition of slavery in both England and America was driven and sustained by Christians who understood that God had created men with dignity as image bearers, that he intended them to be free and to know the truth and to develop morally so that they could take their place as rulers and reigners over the earth. And so men like William Wilberforce and the abolitionists in America, they fought to correct society according to the Bible. This was the standard. We also looked at political systems and if they were unjust. We use biblical standards for justice, good government, and rights to improve them. The Bible has a lot to say about justice, about good government, about the proper role and functioning of the state. A lot to say about the truth and how you know it. If you're interested in learning uh, what the Bible says about these things and getting an introduction to your Christian political stewardships, you may consider taking the course that we've designed at Church in the Valley called God and Government. You can sign up on the connection card if you'd like more information about that. The point is this. We used to use God's vocabulary, his categories of thought. We marked time and seasons to honor him. His standards and values, his laws and ways were respected, and they were used to order our institutions, our laws, and critique our culture. God's word was the standard, the plumb line that was used to correct society, not the other way around. The American people generally understood that we are to live underneath the truth of God's word, not above it. But the world today is very different. Very different. There's been a shift. In the last 240 years, uh, we've gone from what I've just described to almost completely removing the word, the truth, from our language, our categories of thought, our standards, and our values, and our institutions. Our institutions of higher learning, for example, our colleges and universities, generally, which millions of Americans and Christians see as authoritative institutions of knowledge in our society today. These higher education institutions have, in the most, for the most part, forbidden the word of God from being taught as knowledge. It's not knowledge. It's belief. It's faith. It's histories and stories. But it's not knowledge equivalent to chemistry or physics. It's not that kind of knowledge. It's not really knowledge of reality. So it doesn't really belong in the central place that it used to have. Today, if you want to know the truth about life, the stuff that really counts, our culture says go to college, go to Google. Hollywood or Wall Street might be better. But if you really want to understand how things work, don't go to the Bible. It's just belief. As the word of God has been pushed out of the center of our society, out of our institutions of learning, as it's been canceled and deplatformed, well, it's been replaced by a lot of error distortions, and flat-out falsehoods that have been sown in society, and now we are reaping the whirlwind. We don't even know who to trust anymore. You may feel like that. You can line up experts on either side of an issue. We use words like fake news and politically correct to describe the experiences in a world where truth is being suppressed, just like God said in Romans 1. And this is why we're doing this series, Understanding the Times. I've used the Bible as the source of knowledge and truth to read our world and look at what's going on from God's point of view and try to discern from God's word how we would respond faithfully. What's happening in our society, the disorder, the fear, the division, the violation of our basic civil rights by mobs and by governments, it's all a result of the shift that has occurred in the West and more specifically in the church 
a shift that's gone on in the church as the Bible has become more and less more uh, more and more devalued as it's been pushed out of the realm of knowledge of the truth and secular non-biblical sources have replaced it justice righteousness and peace is being lost the truth sets us free but the opposite is also true anything less than the truth leads to bondage this is why there's so much uh, fighting going on in our culture right now for who really knows the truth because whoever's the authority on the truth whoever really knows what's going on that person gets a lot of power they gain a lot of power. Knowledge of the, the truth or the claim that you have it, that usually confers upon the possessor the right and responsibility to direct actions, to set and supervise policy, and to teach. If you know the truth, it gains you the power to lead and influence people, institutions, and government. We all know this. And this is fine if you do know the truth, but it's disastrous if you don't. Look at all the experts and authorities that presidents and governors surround themselves with. Why do they get access to the power? Why do they get access to shape policy? Because they are believed to possess knowledge about whatever matter those in power are deciding. If you're an expert, if you know the truth about something, that gives you entree to some of the most powerful people in the world. And again, that's right if you do, in fact, know the truth. But it's disastrous if you don't. Expertise, being a, an authority, it's not bad. It actually can be a, really, a real help in decision making. As stewards and rulers of our lives, under the lordship of Christ, we make decisions all the time. Right? It's really helpful to have people who are knowledgeable in areas of life that I'm dealing with. I mean, I don't have time to know everything and study everything and become the world's best plumber and the world's best electrician and design my own laptop and you know, fix my own you know, body physically. I need expertise in various areas where people have studied what God has made, where people have gotten more and more skill in using the resources that God has provided to create new goods and services, people who understand the body that God has designed, and how to use medicines that he's left on this earth to help cure disease. That's really helpful. These people advise us, and we consider what they say. But scientific knowledge, engineering, the best technology, it can tell us what's there. It can tell us potentially how things work. But science does not tell us how to live or even how to use the knowledge well. That is simply not what science is for. The best physical, chemical and other scientific knowledge will not tell me what to do, who to be, or what is right, what's wise, what's good. That's not its function. But those are the questions that really determine the outcomes in my life. For example, a meteorologist can tell me that it's going to rain on Saturday. But he can't tell me what I should do on Saturday. Epidemiologists can tell us what the rate of infection is for covid but they can't tell a parent what they should do for their children's schooling next year. There are too many factors involved that the individual parents have to consider. Medical experts can inform us on matters of physical health, and that's grateful. We're, we're grateful for their work. But they cannot inform us on matters of spiritual health. We welcome data. We listen to recommendations. But we must make the decisions. 
Science and technology has its place in our decision-making process, and we have to use it wisely. But we must also be careful because we're after the truth. Because you can't rule well without the truth. We have to be careful. And God repeatedly warns us that human beings are prone to error, folly, and sin. God never is. God's word has no error. God's word can be trusted. The scripture says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous, right? They are more precious than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey from the comb. And then it says, by them, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. If you want reward, if you want to be warned, if you want all those things the scripture lists out that comes from the word. And the word tells us that we have to be very careful when we weigh the words of men. If we're not careful, we can be deceived because even experts can get things wrong. Even experts can lie, pressure, use bad reasoning or prejudice, as we all can do. In some cases, authorities can try to usurp our rights and make decisions for us. Rather than advise us and make their recommendations, they can apply pressure and try to get us to make the decisions that they think are best. Jesus dealt with this in his ministry all the time. For example, Jesus was teaching in the temple. The people were beginning to believe that he was the one sent by the Father, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised king of Israel. Well, the experts in the law, the Pharisees, they didn't like that. So they sent the basically the temple cops to go get Jesus and bring him back. They didn't do it. They came back without Jesus. So the experts and the Pharisees, they looked at these men and they said, When they went back to chief priest, they said, why didn't you bring him in? No one has ever spoken the way this man does. The guards replied, you mean that he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. And then they said something very interesting. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. There you go. We, the experts in the law, we're the pros on the Bible, We have judged and we have concluded that this guy is not from God. This is a mob. They don't know anything. Well, here's the, here's the funny thing. As you and I know, the mob was right and the Pharisees were wrong. So, in fact, their authority, their expertise, although very helpful, doesn't mean that what they believe is necessarily true. And what they did was they actually used an error in reasoning. They violated the rules of logic. It's called appeal to authority. What they were doing was insisting that their claim is true simply because they are authorities and experts on the issue without any other supporting evidence. Oftentimes in our society, people will say it's true because I'm an authority or it's true because I know an authority. That doesn't make it true. It may be true, but it may not be true. And in the case of the Pharisees, they were trying to overpower the guards judgment By saying, we're experts, we know better, you need to believe us. Well, then, if you keep going, one of their own experts in the law, Nicodemus, he says to them, he says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him and finding out what he has been doing? So the expert in the law, Nicodemus, is like, actually, the scripture says that you've got to listen to a guy before you pass a judgment. So how do they respond to Nicodemus? Do they say, that's a good point, Nicodemus. We really want to make sure that we line ourselves up with the scriptures. So let's go ahead and hear what he has to say. 
No. What they say to Nicodemus is, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Now, this is another violation of the basic rules of logic and reasoning. It's called an ad hominem attack, attacking the person making the argument rather than the argument itself. When the attack on the person is completely irrelevant to the argument the person is making. What does it matter where Nicodemus is from? Does the scripture say you got to listen to a guy first or not? Right. The truth, the truth that we need to know reality and rule well, that truth is not better known when you attack somebody and their character to shut them up, which is exactly what they're doing. And by the way, they said, look into it and you'll find that a prophet doesn't come out of Galilee. Well, actually, they're mistaken because in Isaiah, there's a prophecy that out of Galilee, Naphtali, Naphtali and Zebulun were two tribes in the ancient Israelite nation. They were in the north by the Sea of Galilee. And in Isaiah, the prophecy says that out of Naphtali, Zebulun, out of Galilee, the people will see a great light. That's Jesus. So the problem is, is they think they know everything. And they're looking at the situation and they're judging that Jesus is not the Messiah. And then they're hammering anybody who questions their judgment. And why are they doing this? Are they doing this because they're experts? No, they're doing this because they're like me, humans. They're sinful And they're more than willing to use whatever tools at their disposal to get people to do what they want them to do. That's what every human being is tempted to do. Humans suppress the truth. I can do it. You can do it. It's why kids lie. I mean, why do children lie to their parents? Because if they control the information their parents have, they control their parents. So it's not a shock. But the difference is the experts were supposed to help the people. The experts do have trust and credibility. They're to guide. Well, if you keep going in the story, Jesus heals a guy who's been blind for 40 years. He's been blind his whole life. Jesus heals him. It's amazing. The Pharisees are not happy. So they bring the guy's parents to the Pharisees and the experts in the law. They want to know if he really was blind. If we're really talking about the same guy. So the parents show up and they're terrified. Here's what they say. Look, we know he's our son and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now who opened his eyes. We don't know. Ask him. Okay, he's of age. He'll speak for himself. Why are these parents all freaking out? Why why do they want to get out of there as fast as possible? Why do they want to be in the mix helping their son? It says his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah will be put out of the synagogue. So are they doing it because it's true? No, they're doing it because they're afraid. And that happens all the time today. People suppress the truth. They don't want to talk. They don't want to engage because they're afraid that they're going to be punished. This is called an appeal to fear, and it's not another logical fallacy. When fear not based on evidence or reason is used as the primary motivator to get others to accept an idea, a proposition, or a conclusion. So the Pharisees are threatening people. If you come to a conclusion that we do not approve of, you're going to be kicked out. If you come to a conclusion that we don't approve of, we're going to attack your character. If you question what we say, we're going to appeal to our authority, and you need to just listen. So they bring the blind man before them. They're like, let's just deal with this guy. So they bring the blind guy in, who's now he can see. And they say to this guy, you know, who are you? Who did this to you? How did Jesus do it? They keep asking him the same questions. And finally, he's like, why are you asking me all these questions? Do you want to be his disciple too? Uh Uh-oh. This guy is now a disciple of Jesus? No, you 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 can't do that. 
And they say, we are disciples of Moses. We know where Moses came from. We know where the law comes from. We don't know where this guy comes from. And so the blind guy who's now able to see, here's what he says. He uses a very logical and rational argument to come to the truth about Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from? And yet he opened my eyes? We know. Not we believe. We know. We've seen. The word of God has testified. You people have told us. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, that's a, right? That's a key clause. And does his will, God listens to him. <laughs> Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's, that's really good, like, deduction. Like, that makes a lot of sense. Here's an average guy who's able to come to the truth better than the experts in the law. That's amazing. How do they respond? Do they say, wow, you know what? That's a really good point. Your points are very well taken. They line up with the scriptures. We didn't think about that. Thank you. Nope. Here's what they said. You were born in other sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. They got rid of him. They deplatformed him. They silenced him. They cut him off. Now, this is what we see happening. God has given you, and God has given me, and God has given everybody, the ability and the responsibility to find the truth. He's given us his word, his son, his spirit, and his church to guide you in knowing the truth. We have experts in this world, and thank God for them. Because there are many people who have devoted their lives to growing an understanding in areas of life that have given us a lot of healing, a lot of help, and it's great. That's a wonderful thing. But when experts make claims, Christians should consider and weigh. Never timidly obey. When it comes to expert claims, we as Christians should consider and weigh, but never timidly obey. How do you consider First of all, you need to ask yourself, are they credible? Is this expert or authority credible? What's their track record? I mean, have they said that it's going to rain and it doesn't rain? What percentage of their predictions are incorrect? Have they treated this person or this person's car and it comes back worse than it did? Uh, What's their track record? That's a pretty simple question to ask. That's reasonable. Do they have an agenda? Is there an alternative motive? Do they have some sort of stake in an outcome? After all, you wouldn't believe a judge who makes a ruling in a case on a pharmaceutical company if that judge has stock in a pharmaceutical company, right? You wouldn't think that's credible because they have a stake. That's a worthy question. Sometimes it's very hard to discover if someone has a stake in a particular outcome. So we have to be careful. doesn't mean we don't listen, but we have to ask those questions. That's part of considering. Also, we need to ask questions about the data. How sound is the data? How sound is the evidence? How sound is the numbers? How good of a reading did they get? What tools did they use to diagnose your automobile? What tools did they use to diagnose your body? Is there any chance that the readings are incorrect? Is there any chance that there's data missing? Is there more information that I need that's being omitted, that's being suppressed, that's being distorted, which means something's being turned up very high and something's being turned up very low, or perhaps things are being conflated, Right? I need to make sure that I'm asking you the questions about the data. Now, after I have a pretty good sense that the data is, you know, it's relatively sound, then I have to ask the question, does the data contradict God's word? Is the data saying something that is clearly contradicted in God's word? That's a relevant question to ask and consider. We need to interpret. That's the next thing. If you're going to consider 
what an expert says, you have to consider their interpretation. What is their interpretation of the data? Right? So the Pharisees said, here's what the Bible says, here's what the Bible says, here's what the Bible says. And they were right. Here's the prophecies, here's the words. But they were missing something else. In other words, their data wasn't incorrect, although it was incomplete. They were not including uh, verses and prophecies in determining who Jesus was. But then their interpretation was off. In reading the prophecies, they concluded that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. So we have to be careful. What is their interpretation of the data? And are there other interpretations that are better at explaining the facts? The mob was right. Their interpretation was better. The blind man was right. His interpretation was better. Nicodemus was right. His interpretation was better. And so when we're interpreting expert um, uh, data, we need to make sure that we're comparing and making sure that it fits the facts. We also have to ask the question, does the interpretation contradict God's word? Is the interpretation that I'm being given a flat-out violation of what God has said? And that's sometimes hard to do. But hey, you have the word of God and the Son of God, the Spirit of God, in the church of God. With all of that at your disposal, any decision that you need to make, if you bring it before the body of Christ with an open heart and a willingness to understand the scriptures, you can understand, you can come to a knowledge of the truth, you can know what to do. We also have to ask the question about recommendations. What is their recommendation? So they have this data, and there's their interpretation, and here's their recommendation. So what is their recommendation? Is it reasonable and warranted based on the data and the interpretation? Does their recommendation violate God's will? These are some basic questions that you can ask when you're considering expert uh, claims. The second thing you have to do is weigh. Weighing is about trade-offs and considering the unintended consequences that come when we make a decision or take an action. There are always trade-offs in a decision. We're always saying yes to something and no to something, right? And so you have to ask yourself, what are the trade-offs that I'm making? Are any of the trade-offs a clear violation of God's will? Is there something God values that I am devaluing in this decision? We're always making trade-offs. For example, in locking down California, the governor is saying that he's trying to save lives. But as the lockdown continues, there are trade-offs. For example, millions of people have lost their jobs. There's an increase in suicide, and there's an increase in drug overdose. There's an increase in domestic violence. There's also a lot of people who haven't been able to get medical screenings and medical procedures that they need because that capacity has been set aside for COVID. And some of those people will get sick, and some of those people will die. That's a trade-off that's being made. And so when we make decisions, we can't just believe everything's a zero-sum game or be too simplistic. We have to ask, if I do this or if I don't do that, what are the unintended consequences? What are the trade-offs that I'm making? This is how you consider and weigh. What you don't do is just timidly obey. And in our world, it's very easy to get afraid. It's very easy to be afraid of what you don't know. And that can make us timid. That can take away our courage. We can be afraid of death. And as, a, as an attempt to stay away from death and stop death, we're willing to do all sorts of things that are unwise and not do things that we need to do in faith because of our fear of death. That's what Hebrews talks about. So we want to make sure that we're considering and weighing because God has given us the responsibility for making decisions over our life, but we don't just timidly obey. That's not wise. Don't let fear cloud your judgment. Fear of man and what people will say. That was what the Pharisees did to those parents, right? Fear of what people will do. It will cause you to make unwise decisions. And fear is not from God. So 
To summarize, God created you to rule and reign over this earth, to love, know, and glorify him. He's given you freedom. He's given you truth. He's given you the church to help you grow in maturity, to make yourself, to, to grow into a person who's loving, into a person who's wise. And in order to do that, God has provided you freedom and he's provided you truth. In our society today, the Bible, which is the knowledge of the truth about God, has been pushed out. And as a result, our society is beginning to crumble. It's beginning to disintegrate. Only when a society is built upon the truth can it be strong and stand. In our own lives, we need to build our lives upon the truth. We need to use God's word to direct our lives. In our own personal lives, in our families, in our church, in our communities, as we have stewardship, in our businesses where we have stewardship. And yes, we need to hold our elected officials to a biblical standard. Because a biblical standard is reality. And we want our officials to be dealing with reality. What do you do now? As we looked over this month at the, the times we're living in, the first thing I hope you will consider doing is deciding for the first time to become a follower of Christ and to be baptized. You may have been here as we've gone through these different messages and you think, man, that makes a lot of sense. It does, because it's the truth. And Jesus Christ has come into this world to save all of us from our sins. He's died for our sins. He has taken the punishment that we deserve before God so that we don't have to. When we put our faith in him, when we're baptized in his name, Jesus Christ becomes our Lord and Savior, and our lives begin to be transformed. Number two is, I would encourage you to use this season of life to grow in wisdom and understanding from God's word in the context of the church. Don't let this time, look, it's deprivation. We're, a lot of us are just home. We're not able to go to the movies, the store, the gyms. You're just, you're stuck at home. And what can happen is you can just become depressed, stale. What you got to do is you have to choose to make this a time of learning, a time of reading, a time of study, a time of growing in wisdom and understanding a biblical worldview. That's how you're able to stabilize your life. That's how you build your life on the truth. So I would encourage you to consider taking our God and Government course that we've designed. If you want more information, you can sign up on the connection card. But this course will help you begin to develop a biblical understanding of human nature, good government, when it is appropriate for Christians to disobey government, what the truth is and how you can know it, and how you can exercise your Christian political power, Christian political stewardships in a faithful way. So that's a step you might take to grow. And then number four, pray. Pray for God to use these times to save the lost and reverse the destructive trends that are going on in our society. As I said in my first message this, uh, this month, America is at a very interesting crossroads. But Christians have lived in cultures and all kinds of societies throughout history. And as Christians come in and as they proclaim the gospel and as they live out the truth, cultures can be transformed. Lives can be saved. Things can be reversed. Our focus needs to be on how we can walk faithfully with God. He will protect us. We don't have to be afraid. He'll give us the words to say. And as our church is unified and is cooperating to proclaim and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to love our neighbors, to share the truth with them, we can have a real impact in the areas that we live. So I hope that uh, this has been an encouragement to you, that you feel more equipped at understanding the times you're living in and a better sense of what you can do in response. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who has broken down the wall that separated us from you. You've used your son, your son coming to this world and him dying in our place to bring us back into your family. You have given us your spirit, a spirit of truth that helps us to understand 
what's really going on, to see and read our world as you do, and to respond in a way that is wise and just and good and loving. Thank you that you didn't just leave us to our sins. Thank you that you have given us freedom to make choices. We live in a world of consequence so that we can develop into the kinds of people that you want us to be. Father, I pray that you would give us, as a congregation, greater wisdom as each individual person really studies your word and tries to grow in a biblical worldview. I pray that you just give them success, that you really help them to grow spiritually. I pray that you give all of us at Church in the Valley a real hunger and desire to know your word, to read it daily, to study it, to transform our minds with the truth. Father, I pray for the churches in America, the churches that you have created as temples of truth. I pray for the leadership and the people, that you would give all of us courage and wisdom and prudence so that we can hold out the word of life and help people know the truth and hopefully stop the decay and the slide that is going on in this world. You've made us salt and light. Help us to know how to do that. And we pray, Father, that you raise up voices who are calling our country back to a biblical worldview. And we pray, Lord God, that you give us leadership in our country that really fears you, or at least has policies that line up with the scriptures. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.